Welcome to the Discover Church Podcast. We are a Christian faith community based out of Denver, Colorado. Join us this week as we bring our uncertainties to an unchanging God. If you have any questions about the sermon, please feel free to send them in. You can email them to us at hello at discoverdenver.church. All right. Uh, Revelation chapter 7. We're going to continue in this, in this series, All I Do is Win, because in Revelation, when we talk about past, present, future, Jesus is winning. This is all he does. Now, I want to start by telling you, this is really embarrassing. I want to tell you a story of my first kiss, okay? Now, if you're gonna, if you're sitting there going, oh, this is going to be like really sweet, and you put your arm around the person next to you, even if you don't know them, you know, now's a good time to try. But uh, it's not that kind of story. There's really nothing romantic about this story. I'm the villain in the story. Here's what happened, okay? I feel like when I start telling the story, you're going to know exactly where it's going. But just bear with me. I'm a different person. This is before Jesus, for real. This is before Jesus. So I had a friend named James, and um, James was interested in this girl. And James told me, he said, hey, Preston, uh, I, I don't, like, I'm not at the point to go to the movies by myself with her yet, but I wanted to go with you, and you're my best friend. And I'm like, yeah, James, let's go. Let's go with her. So I go, and, and she's sitting here, James is sitting here, and I'm sitting here. James is in the middle of us, and I'm watching the movie. And James gets up to go use the restroom for like the fifth time. He's so nervous, it's their first date, okay? He gets up, and I'm like, good grief, man. She's like, she's going to think you got all these issues. You just need to stay seated, you know? Wear a diaper if you have to, James. But he just, he's, he's up for time number five or whatever. And the girl leans over, and she says out of nowhere, she goes, so you want to kiss? And I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm literally, now you got to understand, I was in middle school. I was a middle school boy, okay? Need I say more? I was a middle school boy that's never kissed a girl. And for some reason, James as my friend was a far off thought. It just wasn't there anymore. And I go, now? And she goes, yeah. And I said, okay. So we kissed right there while James is in the bathroom, while, her, while my best friend. Anyways, I, I, this story, and this is what happened right away. I immediately had a headache. I, I don't blame it on, I blame it on me betraying my best friend, okay? That, this, that, that happened, and James walks back and sits down, and I, the rest of the movie, I'm going, I am the worst friend. But I did have my first kiss. You know, like it's this weird mix of emotion where I'm going, well, things don't work out with you and her, but then I'm breaking the bro code. You know, all these thoughts are going through my head. Well, then James's mom has to come pick us up. So the whole time we're waiting, because we weren't even old enough to drive. So the whole time, which by the way, I don't know if you should be kissing someone if you're not old. Anyways, we'll get in that. That's a whole different discussion for my daughters later on in life. Uh, but we're waiting for his mom to come pick us up. And the whole time he's like talking like, you think she likes me? You think like, I'm going, no, she likes me. I don't know how to, how to say this. So I just told him, I said, James, I'm sorry. Uh, he said, for what? And I just told him, I said, when you went to the restroom, I kissed her. And he's like, what? Are you kidding? And I said, no. And his response was, I didn't even kiss her. That's what he said. And I go, and I go, I'm so sorry. And I said, James, you are my best friend. And you, and I just started giving him all these lines. And I was spending the night at James's house that night. My parents were out of town. It was just me and James and his mom comes to pick us up. 
And uh, I'm not, that was the end of our friendship, believe it or not, with James in middle school. And that was the last time that we hung out. And I remember telling him all these things about, I'm your friend and all these things. None of that mattered, to be honest with you. That, uh, that, that like wasn't true. Because if I was James's best friend, I would not kiss his date, right? Like we understand that. That doesn't matter. All those things don't matter because the old, like the age old saying is true that actions speak louder than words. All the time, actions speak louder than words. Okay, go ahead and throw that up here if you don't mind. When, when, we, when we say something to someone, but we do the opposite, what we said has really no effect. So when I told James, I'm your best friend, I am so sorry, I'm this, what ended up happening, I ended up dating her for like two weeks after James and I broke up as friends and actions speak louder than words, I wasn't his best friend. I was a middle school boy who was very, very selfish and wanted my first kiss. And you've probably, now you can put yourself in James's shoes, you can put yourself in a lot of people's shoes, but you've had it where a friend has told you that what, what we all do whenever they see you and we haven't seen each other in a while, we go, hey, let's hang out soon. Yeah, let's hang out. Let's, hang, let's do that. But if there's no action that follows it, well, actions speak louder than words. What you said doesn't have the sort of weight as if, if you actually followed through. Or a friend that says, I'm totally in. Whatever you need, I'm in. Okay, maybe, maybe you're like getting into a relationship and your friend goes, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be, but then when you call on them and they don't, this is true. Actions speak louder than words. And in our life, this is true. In John, who wrote Revelation, this is for sure true. Because we've talked about this before. John will hear something and then see another action taking place and it reinterprets everything. John uses, we're, we're talking about the seven seals, six seals were last Sunday, and before he gets into the seventh seal, we kind of hit the pause button, where John explains something that's going on in this vision that he's having. Now, what's interesting is he will hear things, he'll say, I heard this being said, but then I saw, like I saw something different, it reinterprets. So the, the idea of the numbers that are being used and the images, remember, are very intentional. It's not like he's just making up numbers or images. It's very intentional. The number seven is all throughout Revelation because what commentators believe is that it mirrors the seven days of creation and that Jesus did this, you know, with his I am statements. There are seven I am statements that mirror the seven days of creation. And what he's doing is he's saying, God created the order of the world. The world fell apart which I think we all are seeing that now. The world has fallen apart, but Jesus recreates. So the number seven, a lot of times throughout scripture, is Jesus recreating something. He's bringing in the right way of doing things, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So seven days, this is the creation, and now we have seven seals. So Jesus is, he's, he's the, the only one qualified to open the seven seals, which is the unfolding of history. As he's doing that, what we see, he's doing it as a lamb, not a lion. Remember? This is how he's winning. As he's doing that, though, what we see is the recreation of things. The new way of doing things. And it's not foreign for Jesus to do this. He would say things like this. Um, you've heard it said. But I say unto you, he would do this all the time to people. You've heard it said, but I say unto you, the, the seven I am statements would be another way where he is recreating their image of God 
where we know, and we say around here a lot, a Jesus-looking God. If God doesn't look like Jesus, it's not the God that created the whole thing. So in Revelation, you have these seven seals, and we stop after the sixth one, and we jump into this, where John's going to say, I heard something, but I saw something else. Because Jesus is always recreating. He's recreating the way things should be. So let's jump into this. This is in verse 1. I'm going to jump jump a little bit fast through chapter 7. Um, so if you're following, uh, just, just kind of I'll let you know where I'm at. Verse 1, after this I saw. So this is after the sixth seal. Remember, we're talking about the, the sixth seal with, uh, we're talking about the, the four seals, the four horsemen. Then we're talking about when it comes to uh, the, the martyrs that are at the throne room of God and they're crying out for vengeance. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. So let me just stop here. A lot of people, and in fact, I have friends who wonder, they go, well, if you believe in the Bible, you have to believe that the earth is flat because of this verse. And I go, no, no, I don't. Because again, we're talking imagery, right? We're talking, and they go, no, you have to believe. And I go, no, I know it's not. Flat. Like, you're trying to convince me that I believe the earth is flat? Do you believe? The, you know, so anyways, uh, they're holding back the four winds of the earth. The earth is not flat. That no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. So the, the wind would be the judgment of God that's coming in to the earth. And we're actually seeing in, uh, in, in the New Testament when it says that the earth groans with birthing pains, okay, as if it's in labor, waiting for the revelation of the Son of Man. So we see the earth is ready for this. It's ready to go through whatever pain it takes in order for Jesus to come. And the angels are saying, hold on. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So he's saying until God's people will always be protected from the judgment of God because they know that by believing in God, by trusting in him as, as a child trusts in a father, they know judgment doesn't come upon them. Now, with discipline, sure, but they know, hey, this is God's people, people who trust in God. They don't have to fear the judgment of God like people. And, and by the way, we'll jump into what is the judgment of God. That'll be next week. Okay, so stay tuned on that. Uh, let's keep going. We're going to jump down a few verses. And I heard, or this is the next one. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now, then your, your Bible that you're reading right now, if you're reading it, um, in good faith, I'm believing you're reading the Bible along with me, that will then list 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from this tribe, on and on and on and on. What's really fascinating and what theologians think is happening is that a thousand is about as large as scriptures go in, in a lot of different areas to show the magnitude of something happening, okay? It's like if I were to say, uh, man, um, here's a uh, here's like a sports reference. If I were to say Sammy Sosa was good in his day, if you don't know who Sammy Sosa was, he played for the Cubs. That's when he was good in his day. Okay. Cause that's when I got his autograph and it's worth nothing now, but Sammy Sosa was good in his day. 
Do I mean Sammy Sosa was good one day back when he, no, no, he was good in his day. I'm talking about many days. I'm talking about many things. This is how some of the writers would talk about a thousand or the thousands, okay? And so they're saying the tribes, they're saying the tribes time the disciples, just the number is very symbolic that the tribes in the Old Testament were called out by God. The disciples in the New Testament were called out by Christ, 12, 12, a thousand. So this is what commentators were saying is symbolic, is symbolic. A lot of people will say, no, there will be 12,000, there will be 144,000 Jews. We don't have reason to interpret that literally. Again, because we're not dealing with that type of literature. So let's keep going. After this, I looked, after that, after hearing that, he said, I heard this, I heard there's 144,000. And behold, so he's seeing something different. The actions you see always speak louder than the words that you hear. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches. The white robes would signify the purity and victory that they have, Um, which later on it'll talk about the way they are purified is through the blood of the Lamb. So again, Literally, if you pour blood on someone's white robe, is that still white? I mean, you don't even have to have done laundry in your life to know, no, okay? But the imagery is that the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice of the lamb, has purified his people, and they are reigning in his victory. So with palm branches calling for the victory of Christ and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John hears 144,000, and that would resonate with him. It would resonate with someone who, before following Christ, was a Jew, and would resonate with them. The tribes, these are my people. This resonates. In fact, you'll even find he omits one tribe, places in another. It resonates with him. It's not to say what we hear is not true. It's just to say what we see is more true, right? Actions speak louder than words. He hears this, which I would say is an exact number to show you God does not overlook one person. He does not overlook one. He hears this. He doesn't overlook you. And and if you ever felt overlooked, maybe even in church, you feel like God's not present or you're overlooked. No one sees. He doesn't overlook you. There's an exact number. To show this and to show God's the one drawing them. But then when he sees, he sees what seems contradictory. A great multitude that nobody could number. Nobody can number. So what I would say is this. What I said earlier. If the end of the story doesn't involve you or only involves people who look like you, then it's not how things should truly end. Okay? If the end of the story doesn't involve you, so if you go, I would never be part of it. I'm just a misfit. God overlooks me. God, that's not true. There's precision in what God says. He called out the tribes. Jesus sought after the disciples. There's a great multitude and you, there's precision in how God does this thing. He calls you, okay? And maybe you just need to hear that. God is calling you. He's drawing you to himself. He doesn't stop doing that. He's drawing you. If the end of the story doesn't involve you or only involves people who look like you, 
So you go, I'm really happy with the way things will turn out if it doesn't, if it doesn't involve my uh, family. And you go, or if it doesn't involve a certain people group. Or if it doesn't involve an old best friend who cheated on me by cheating on, you know what I'm saying, right? That whole thing. I'm really happy if it doesn't involve, then it, it is not how things should truly end. What we find in this description, there's precision, but we also find there's a great multitude, okay? And the multitude is of all nations, all tribes, all generations. The multitude is countless. Now, I, I want to pause and say something here. In the last few weeks, there's been this issue, which has actually been an issue for a long time, but we've just, a lot of people have just now taken notice of it, this issue of immigration and um, taking care of the refugee. Now, let me explain the difference. Immigration would be when someone from another country or, or family or people are saying, we want to leave this country and we want to go to a place where we think it's going to be better, okay? A refugee would be where they are leaving and fleeing because there's harm that's coming their way. That's kind of the distinction to be made. Here's what I would say about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is filled with immigrants and refugees. We are all immigrants and refugees in the kingdom of God, okay? There's not one of you who were born into the kingdom of God and you go, this is my tribe. There's a, if, if you are following Jesus, there's a point to where you started trusting him and participating in his power as king. And whether you chose that, maybe in life you chose that and you said, I choo I'm choosing to do this on my free will. I want to live with God for all eternity, strictly out of free will, nothing's really happening. Or you feel like, man, when life was falling apart, there's no other hope in the world but, but my hope in Jesus. All of us are immigrants and refugees in the kingdom of God. And all throughout scripture, God's people are to treat the foreigner in the same way God treats the foreigner. God's people are to treat them this way. So when you see the news and you hear people quoting the Bible in the news, and they're trying to affirm policies that would separate families, I just want to be very clear. When it comes to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of man, the kingdom of God always wins for the Christian, okay? I want to be clear on that. So there, one of the things that happened that maybe you're aware of is that re recently Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, he quoted the Bible as justification for how immigrants um, are being treated. And uh, he defended it by, by citing a passage from Paul's letter in, uh, to the church in Rome, Romans. And he said this, he said, I would cite you to the apostle Paul and his clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. Sessions then said, orderly and lawful processes are good in themselves and protect the weak and lawful. And then later, press secretary summed up the same. It is very biblical to enforce the law. Now I want to hit pause. To abuse, now I'm not, I'm not actually making a political statement. I'm making a kingdom of God statement, okay? So if you go, I'm left, right, middle, I'm glad you're here, okay? I, at, at this point, I'm not talking that. What I'm talking about is an issue that a lot of people are wondering about. And Revelations chapter 7, you may have heard some things, but now you're witnessing what it's going to be like. All tribes, all nations. When someone takes um, the Bible and they use it for their own 
policy or their own procedure. However, they're going to abuse the Bible, which has been done, by the way, throughout history. Okay, that's not something new. But when someone takes the Bible and they abuse it, we have to be wise enough to say that's not okay. Just because you hear someone using the Bible doesn't mean you're seeing what should be taking place. You follow me? So when someone says, well, Paul says that the law, we are to follow the law. Well, you also know that Paul Whenever the law and Jesus would conflict, because King Jesus, President Jesus, however you want to talk about Jesus, Paul saw Jesus this way. Whenever the law and Jesus would conflict, he always followed Jesus. This is why Paul was martyred. It was because people were telling him, Paul, shut up. Like, stop, stop preaching the resurrection. Well, even when authorities would tell Paul to do that, did he stop? No. This is why Paul was stoned. This is why Paul was exiled. This is why Paul was in prison was because whenever the two conflicted, he goes, I go King Jesus all day long, all day long. And we find this to be true all throughout church history. That yeah, when you talk about speed limit, something like that, well, kingdom of God doesn't really have much to say about that except obey the speed limit. So however you got here to church, do it differently on the way home, okay? That's inconsequential. Whenever it talks about ways to treat the foreigner. God has a lot of things to say because you're a foreigner. Because you are an outsider. And if we are to imitate our life after him, we follow him. You hear me? So I just want to make clear, when you hear people saying one thing, may you see Revelation 7. May you do what John has done. And may you listen, but may you believe in what you see in the scriptures. In the end, all tribes, all nations, all peoples, and here on earth, we will constantly have to choose King Jesus. This is actually what the the church, all seven churches in Revelation are under persecution, where the authorities are fighting against the kingdom way. And so, so uh, John is writing in a way of saying, this is how we fight and this is how he wins. We participate in his victory. That's why we see white robes and we see crowns and we see all these. We participate in his victory. So if you go, gosh, that's a hard issue to even participate in. I mean, I, I just tell you, jump into Revelation. The issues get harder and harder and harder. But the people, now, now we say that, and, and you may be thinking in your mind, amen. If you're not thinking amen, you go, I don't agree with that. I would just encourage you, just hear me out. I would just encourage you to take it before King Jesus, to take it before him, not as a policy, but as, as a person would go before a king and say, what do I do here? Okay, I would encourage you to do that. But in, in, in talking about a, 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 an issue is one thing, but then let me apply it pretty specifically, Okay. When we're, we're talking about the way things will be, we don't wait until then to then see, okay, we're going to one day see all nations, but until then, we're just going to chill with people like us, okay? That is not, you, now, you cannot actually have 
beliefs and ways of thinking that line up with the kingdom and then your actions don't follow it because actions always speak louder than words. So if you're going to if you're going to say I love the way that God has treated me. I love the way that he's brought me in. I love the way that I'm a refugee born into this world but I have a second birth and I've been born into the kingdom of God. You know, I love the way that happens. But you don't actually care for the neighbor who speaks a different language, like, like your neighbor. You don't actually care for the coworker. You don't care for the person in the church that thinks different than you and acts different than you. What I'm trying to tell you is what you're going to see as you follow Jesus, the way things will be is so many different people are going to be involved in this thing. If you don't participate in that now, I don't know what it's going to be like for you later. I don't know how hard that's going to be for you. I, like, for real. If you only want to spend your time with people who think and act like you, what you're going to find is that you will not be following the Jesus way. Because that's not how things end up. Okay? It's not. So in the end, let's just jump through di uh, some different people groups. Some different, in the end, there's going to be like generations. Okay? be different generations involved in this thing. Great multitude. These kids are very precious to Jesus. And I know people are at different stages of life. Some have kids, some don't have kids. Some, some want kids, some all, all different stages of life. But here's what I would say. The way that you engage children and the way that you care for them is very, very important. It's very important. There's nobody here that's of this age. Kids are very different than you. They're going to teach you different things. They're going to correct you in ways you don't want to be corrected, right? They're going to show up messy, and they're going to be very difficult to understand until they're about five, okay? These are kids. But they're also going to be part of the great multitude. And I pray for the day the kids downstairs outnumber the adults in here. I pray for that day. That's why we do things like mega sports camp. So I don't know for you when you see a video about mega sports camp, if you think, oh, that'll be a fun thing for kids. We need you to help find kids that will want to participate in that. Because as their lives change, they're part of the multitude. We're doing this now, right? We're not waiting till later. We, we're doing this now. So, so just to let you know, this is important. Let's talk about a different generation. Older generation, okay? It's really important. Now, I know we're a, a younger church, but I want to say to the people that are like above 50, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this church. Thank you for making an effort to always pour into our lives. The multitude is going to have older people in the multitude. I don't know the last time that you sat down with someone who's older than you. Or if, if you are above 50, that you sat down with someone who's younger than you. I'm not calling you old, by the way. Okay, I'm using the terms older and younger. Maybe I'll use seasoned and unwise. Okay? I don't know the last time you sat down with someone and you just said, I just want to hear about your life because we're in this thing together. We're in this thing. You know, Sarah, can you raise your hand, Sarah? Just raise your hand right there. Sarah is a friend of mine. She's become a, a friend over the last like two months, month and a half. And today we had lunch together and we're sitting down talking and, and I'm telling Sarah about what I see with Discover Church. And she's telling me about how she wants to go on a cruise someday. And we have lunch and we talk about this. And I'm like, Sarah, you go on a cruise. Go on a cruise. And she's like, yeah, 
Well, do those things with the church, you know? Like do, and we have a great relationship where we're, we're starting to see we can be honest with each other, we can pour into each other, and we believe and hope for each other. Because in the end, all tribes, all nations, all people group, multitude, you can't even count them. They're going to have blonde hair, white hair, black hair, gray hair. They're going to all, all nations, all peoples. But we got to participate now. So if you have not participated in a conversation of someone of a different age than you, do it. Try it. Don't just spend your life with people like you. Because at the end, you might actually be disappointed in the vision that John has. Okay, let's keep going. Another group of people, this would be all races. So I'd say this, different ethnicities and same ethnicities. Spend time and get to know, teach the gospel to, serve all ethnicities, all people groups. Good grief. Please do not wait until um, it's too late and people are suffering. You saw this video where she said that someone came, became like a sister to her. It wasn't the country that made her feel welcome. The country did the opposite. It was an individual that made her feel welcome. This would be a people group. Let's go to the next one. This would be your neighbors, okay? Your neighbors. Again, if we're talking about the multitude that's going to be there, if you go, well, my, my neighbors aren't going to heaven, like they're not going to be, they're not following Jesus. Why do I spend time with them? Because they're not following Jesus. Like go spend time with them and tell them about this man that you follow that, that brings in a kingdom that's very different than the one that is going on right now with your neighbors. Whatever you need to do. There's a neighbor across the street diagonal from me that uh, my girls were driving their Jeep. It's like this old, or it's like this, uh, like, uh, this kid's Jeep. You know what I'm talking about? Like, no? Okay, well, it's a kid's car and it's safe, semi-safe for kids. So they're driving it around. And, uh, and I ran into my neighbor. They didn't actually run into him. We just stopped and we were talking to him. And, and I, said, I said, hey, you know, it's good to see you again. And he said, yeah, you too. And he, he goes, hey, you want to do a block party this summer? You want to like... You want to cone off the streets and get speakers and like, like have a party. You want to do that? And I said, yeah, I, I, I can't pull it off by myself. But if you want to do it, and uh, he's much bigger than me, okay? And so I said, and if you can kind of, if, you're, if we're going to like put cones on the street, you need to be the one to enforce those cones. And he goes, I'll enforce those cones. You know what we're talking Being with your neighbors, doing things with your neighbors, bringing them into the great multitude is what you need to be doing. Uh, and then let me, we don't have a picture for this one, but let, let me just say one that's coming to my heart. Your family. You, you may be experiencing cut off from your family, distancing from your family. Something may be going on with your family. But may you have vision that they're part of the great multitude. May you have a vision that you go, I can't count everybody, but I see my sister, I see my brother, I see my parents, I see my kids. When John says these things, it's to be an encouragement that, hey, as you're being persecuted and participating in a different way, don't stop participating in the kingdom way. Keep doing that, okay? Don't stop that. And, uh, and by the way, start participating now. Start doing this thing now. Well, yesterday I took the girls to Wendy's, and, and they're, they're giving away this toy that's like a little storybook, and it has stickers in each page, and then there's a sentence, and they have to fill it in. So it would say, what kind of pets did the, you know, 
that the character is fine, and then there's stickers of pets, and they put them in, and they're just having a blast. And they're really proud of these storybooks. If these were the stickers, your neighbors and your family and different ethnicities and old and young, older and younger, okay, seasoned and unwise, okay, and all these different things, and all the and and these are kids and people in the city and outside of the city, and these are the stickers, and you had a page that was given to you that said, "Who do you think's in? Who do you see in the great multitude?" I would ask you to be honest, what sticker would you leave out when you're putting that illustration to that page? What sticker would you not put on there that you say, I don't see them in there? And I would, with urgency, tell you, Revelation is a book of action, not just of doctrine, and it's to get us out of these seats into people's lives so that heaven can get more crowded, so the kingdom of God can grow, so that whenever the end time comes, you can look out and say, I, they weren't a part of this, but they are now because you were obedient. You follow me? That's what Revelation 7 is telling us. We are all immigrants. We are all refugees. How God treated us is how we treat everybody else. So if your vision of the end of time doesn't include you, please join the great multitude. Please trust in Jesus tonight. If it only includes people who look like you, stop it. Start talking to people and making friends with people and serving people who don't look like you, who don't speak the same language. Because if it's, only people, if it's not you and it's only people who look like you, it's not the great multitude. It's not the end. We have to participate in it now, is what I'd say. So if Lisa, can you come up? We're going to respond. I, you know what's interesting is a, a message like this with a text like this, makes me wonder, um, it makes me wonder sometimes what we're going to do. That we are going to pray, we're going to have a time of prayer, but I don't just want us to pray. I don't want it to be a time of confession necessarily. I want it to be a time of seeking encouragement and action. In everything that we talked about, if Chapter 7 of Revelation is left out of your life. It's going to be the most bizarre, disorienting Christian life that people could ever witness. Because John hears something that makes sense to him. Okay, It makes sense to you that the people that you hang out with that are, think like you, that would make sense. They're going to be part of this thing. They're going to be part of the great multitude. That makes sense to you. What, do, what you see, though, is so many other different people. So many other, and I, I wonder when John saw this, I wonder what he thought. I wonder if he thought, I need to start engaging, or if he thought, those people are there because of me, or the mission's efforts of the other disciples. I don't know. But I do know this. I, I do know that when I was, uh, would have been 22 years old, and um, in the... Uh, in the Assemblies of God, they have district councils, which a lot of denominations will have gatherings, yearly gatherings. And there was a district council I was at, and it was when, I don't know if you remember the song, How Great Is Our God came out, or was like a hit song, which if we sing that now, you're like, that's so old. It's not that old. You're just like too progressive. I don't know. You're so cool, you know. And so we're, they're singing this song, and I remember I was worshiping and singing the song, How Great Is Our God, and then all of a sudden... I had this vision that I just saw 
our generation worshiping with nobody else. I literally, that, like in my mind's eye, I, I saw this. Bef- we're before the throne room of God and it's my generation and people who look and thought just like me, worshiping. And I just started weeping. And the guy that I was working for at the time who was running that whole uh, conference, he saw me like weeping, weeping. Like I was, I was uncontrollable. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, there are... T- I said, there are uh, too many people missing in the throne room. I didn't know how else to tell him. And, uh, and it's always stuck with me. So I read Revelation 7 and I get hit with it again. God, there are too many people missing. And we've made this all about us. And we want people who look like us, act like us, same stage of life as us, made all about us. And the whole time there's too many people missing. So can we stand and respond together? Let's move to the side for a time of prayer. If you feel overlooked, if you feel like you, you are not desired by God, if you feel overlooked at all, and maybe even in a room this size, you feel overlooked. Can you, I want you to know you're not. I want you to know someone sees you and will pray with you. Will you just take a moment and step to the side? There's no judgment. This is like, this is us being the church together, seeking prayer. So if you go, I feel overlooked. I don't know my place. I I need, and I'd say, even if you're serving and you feel this way, will you just step to the side, to either one of these sides? Find a place of prayer. If you have difficulty engaging with people different than you, It's just hard. And you would prefer, let's just be honest, you would prefer this whole thing was a bunch of people like you. Well, with kindness, I would tell you, may someone pray with you as you say, I need need the kind of heart that Revelation's calling us for. So if you just say, I struggle with that. And, And by the way, if you ask me on any given day, I would struggle with that. Will you move to the side? You say, I want to see more people way different than me part of this multitude to be part of the great multitude. So those are the two calls of prayer as we worship. If you feel overlooked or you feel like I, 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 I want, I'm overlooking people. Let's put it that way. I feel overlooked or I'm overlooking people. Would you seek prayer on the side and, and the prayer team as people walk to the side, uh, you can pray with them. We're going to take communion tonight. Uh, there's people handing out communion. If you follow Jesus, take communion, but I would ask you to take it like this tonight. Remember you're an outsider until Jesus brought you in. And may you take it with the commitment to the outsiders in the world, remembering Christ, okay? So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna worship, and those are the ways you can respond. So as you move to the side, as different people seek prayer, we will pray with you, okay? Let me pray over us. Father, I ask for the heart of the Father for all of us tonight. I ask we will not be selfish as a people, We will see the vision of the future that you call us to, and we will participate as people who have experienced your love. I ask for that, God. May we have your heart in worship, and may we worship as living sacrifices the rest of the week. So give us your heart as we worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.